This is section 64 of Mark Twain Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On Foreign Critics. Dinner for Max Orell, Everett House, Boston, April 27, 1890. Read by John Greenman. If I look harried and worn, it is not from an ill conscience. It is from sitting up nights to worry about the foreign critic. He won't concede that we have a civilization, a real civilization. Five years ago he said we had never contributed anything to the betterment of the world. And now comes Sir Lepel Griffin, whom I had not suspected of being in the world at all, and says, there is no country calling itself civilized where one would not rather live than in America, except Russia. That settles it. That is, it settles it for Europe. But it doesn't make me any more comfortable than I was before. What is a real civilization? Nobody can answer that conundrum. They have all tried. Then suppose we try to get at what it is not, and then subtract the what it is not from the general sum and call the remainder real civilization, so as to have a place to stand on while we throw bricks at these people. Let us say, then, in broad terms, that any system which has in it any one of these things, to wit, human slavery, despotic government, inequality, numerous and brutal punishments for crimes, superstition almost universal, ignorance almost universal, and dirt and poverty almost universal, is not a real civilization, and any system which has none of them is. If you grant these terms, one may then consider this conundrum. How old is real civilization? The answer is easy and unassailable. A century ago it had not appeared anywhere in the world during a single instant since the world was made. If you grant these terms, and I don't see why it shouldn't be fair, since civilization must surely mean the humanizing of a people, not a class. There is today but one real civilization in the world, and it is not yet thirty years old. We made the trip and hoisted its flag when we disposed of our slavery. However, there are some partial civilizations scattered around over Europe, pretty lofty civilizations they are, too. But who begot them? What is the seed from which they sprang? Liberty and intelligence. What planted that seed? There are dates and statistics which suggest that it was the American Revolution that planted it. When that revolution began, Monarchy had been on trial some thousands of years over there, and was a distinct and convicted failure every time. 
it had never produced anything but a vast a nearly universal savagery with a thin skim of civilization on top and the main part of that was nickel-plate and tinsel the french imbruted and impoverished by centuries of oppression and official robbery were a starving nation clothed in rags slaves of an aristocracy of smirking dandies clad in unearned silks and velvet it makes one's cheek burn to read of the laws of the time and realize that they were for human beings realize that they originated in this world and not in hell germany was unspeakable in the scottish lowlands the people lived in styes and were human swine in the highlands drunkenness was general and it hardly smirched a young girl to have a family of her own in england there was a sham liberty and not much of that crime was general ignorance the same poverty and misery were widespread london fed a tenth of her population by charity the law awarded the death penalty to almost every conceivable offense what was called medical science by courtesy stood where it had stood for two thousand years tom jones and squire western were gentlemen the printer's art had been known in germany and france three and a quarter centuries and in england three in all that time there had not been a newspaper in europe that was worthy the name monarchies had no use for that sort of dynamite when we hoisted the banner of revolution and raised the first genuine shout for human liberty that had ever been heard this was a newspaperless globe eight years later there were six daily journals in london to proclaim to all the nations the greatest birth this world had ever seen who woke that printing-press out of its trance of three hundred years let us be permitted to consider that we did it who summoned the french slaves to rise and set the nation free we did it what resulted in england and on the continent crippled liberty took up its bed and walked from that day to this its march has not halted and please god it never will we are called the nation of inventors and we are we could still claim that title and wear its loftiest honors if we had stopped with the first thing we ever invented which was human liberty out of that invention has come the christian world's great civilization without it it was impossible as the history of all the centuries has proved well then who invented civilization even sir lepel griffin ought to be able to answer that question it looks easy enough we have contributed nothing nothing hurts me like ingratitude yes 
the coveted verdict has been persistently withheld from us mr arnold granted that our whole people including by especial mention that immense class the great bulk of the community the wage and salary earners have liberty equality plenty to eat plenty to wear comfortable shelter high pay abundance of churches newspapers libraries charities and a good education for everybody's child for nothing he added society seems organized there for their benefit benefit of the bulk and mass of the people yes it is conceded that we furnish the greatest good to the greatest number and so all we lack is a civilization mr arnold's indicated civilization would seem to be restricted by its narrow lines and difficult requirements to a class a top class as in tropical countries snow is restricted to the mountain summits and from what one may gather from his rather vague and unsure analysis of it the snow metaphor would seem to fit it in more ways than one the impression you get of it is that it is peculiarly hard and glittering and bloodless and unattainable now if our bastard were a civilization it could fairly be figured by mr arnold's own concessions by the circulation of the blood which nourishes and refreshes the whole body alike delivering its rich streams of life and health impartially to the imperial brain and the meanest extremity End of On Foreign Critics Read by John Greenman